We're in the midst of a series of sermons called Hashtag Squad Goals, and it really, uh, as we talk about that, is this primal ache, this desire that it's inside of each of us that's God-given for community. Seems like we can handle a lot of things in life, but alone, being alone or loneliness is just something that just absolutely shatters our lives. The first thing that's mentioned in the Bible is not good as when man or humanity is alone. So we've been diving into this topic of uh, community with this popular phrase, perhaps you've not heard it before, but it's very popular on Twitter and Instagram called hashtag squad goals. I had to have Brian and Sam kind of uh, define what that really means. And part of it is, is where you want to be part of a team, you want to be part of a squad. But it's not only that, but you, you, you want to be able to achieve things too. And when, so when you achieve something as a squad, the group that you're part of, you, you, you post a picture and you put hashtag squad goals. So we have about 30 ladies up at a women's retreat right now at uh, Covenant Pines. And uh, Dara Salvable uh, uh, texted me a picture yesterday of our ladies, and she put hashtag MGCC uh, squad goals. And they're doing tug of war. And so I was like, look at Trisha. She's the first one right there. She's really into it. The rest of them, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but uh, so I was like, so you guys achieved something, right? Did you win? And the response was, why are you so competitive, Craig? <laughs> I'm like, what's the squad goal then? I guess it's just being together and having fun. But anyways, that's a really, really neat picture. Uh, but we, we've been in this, this series the last few weeks. And we actually began this series, if you remember, uh, looking at the squad the group, the platoon, the community that Jesus brought together, a very eclectic bunch. And if you looked at it from uh, Simon the Zealot, who absolutely hated the Roman government, to uh, Matthew the tax collector, uh, I mean, those two, a lot of tension right there. We have Peter, we have James and John, we have Andrew, who's always called uh, Simon Peter's brother. He's kind of the one that's overlooked, and and Judas Iscariot, obviously. And, And yet, within this sort of polarizing group, in some way, uh, Jesus brings them together to be a community that changes the world. I mean, that's just a squad goal. They, they change the world, as we read about in the book of Acts, and also with, with the advent and the progress of the church. Well, this morning, I want to continue with that and look at, for us as a church, church community, what, what does it look like for us to make a difference, to achieve something? What would that be? And this morning, I want to talk about generosity. So with that, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. There's Bibles in front of you in the pew. Otherwise, uh, you can follow along with the slides. Matthew chapter 6. And this is smack middle, uh, smack dab in the middle of what's called sort of the greatest sermon in the world. It's a sermon on the mount. And the sermon on the mount begins in Matthew 5 verse 1. It goes all the way to chapter 7 verse 27. It's sort of called the Magna Carta of, of Jesus' teachings. That if you want to find out you know, a number of important topics, you find it in 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. And we pick it up in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Jesus says this, watch out, he says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly. So he's really emphasizing, this is no small thing. Watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by, by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, Don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity, posting on Facebook. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And that was just sort of an ancient idiom uh, of just 
doing it something in private. That's what he's trying to say. Do it in private. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. This is going to be our text for this morning. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for the sermon that Jesus preached, that Matthew recorded for our benefit and for the benefit of saints everywhere. We pray this morning, and as I've been praying all week, God, that you would give us a glimpse of the generosity that would compel our hearts to worship, to rejoice, to see how deep, how high, how wide, and how long your love is for us through Jesus. God, I pray that you would give us a glimpse that we enthrall our hearts with the vision that you have, that you'd rivet our hearts, that you would save some of us in this room this morning to see that and taste that and believe what you've done through Jesus Christ is real and good and saving. We're asking you to put yourself on display in our, mar- in our minds and our hearts, and as we read your word, that we could continue to sing and respond to it and to worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So what's the best, what's, what's, the, what's the way, the best way to form sort of a, a community or a squad that would make a difference in the world? And what Jesus is saying right here, it, it, a part of it is generosity. That one of the marks of the kind of community that, that would uh, be his would be marked by generosity. Because as Matthew records this, this would have been read, not or excuse me, this has been read out loud, people would have listened. They didn't have their own, own copy of the Bible. They would have heard this within their own communities. So automatically, they would apply something like this in their own sort of squad, their own community. And what Jesus is saying is that, that one of the best ways that you can live out as a community is to be generous. Okay? But I want to make a, a connection. Because when we go through the Sermon on the Mount, what is Jesus' point? Let's turn over to chapter 7. And let's go to verse 24. Because sometimes when you read a book or perhaps you, you read something and you read the introduction, I know when I was a little kid, I'd read stories and I always would read the few, first few pages, but I always wanted to find out how things turned out at the end, so I'd skip ahead to the ending. And that's what we're doing here is looking at the end of the sermon. So as Jesus sort of kind of like, you know, brings things together and he's, he's, he's given his con- conclusion and then they're about to take an offering. That was a joke. Uh, that... That uh, as, as, he's, as he's kind of winding things down here in verse 24, he kind of shares, this is what it's about. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Okay? Builds a house on solid rock. The Greek word for that is Petra. And what that means is this unyielding boulder. Not just like a pebble rock. We're talking like a huge rock. Unyielding, strong, sturdy. That's what he's saying right here, this Petra. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise, kind of like this past Wednesday, uh, and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on, same word, Petra, on this unyielding, strong, sturdy rock. That's, That's what he's saying. Now, watch this. He contrasts it. He goes, that's one way to live, and that's my way. If you follow me, you live this out, as I'm, I'm sharing in the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to build your house on a solid rock. If you go in a different direction, it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to have implications for your life. Verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Okay? That's not a strong enough term for us, I think, in our uh, English vernacular. The actual Greek word is moros. It's where we get the word moron. 
So our, our Savior is saying, if, if you don't do this and you, you go live your life in a different way, you're a moron. So you may want to put that in the, the margin of your, your Bible. Okay? Anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is a moron like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it'll collapse with a mighty crash. So as we talk about it being a generous people, it really begins with us building our lives on Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes this morning, that's where it begins. Seems very basic, doesn't it? But it, it, we start with building our lives on Jesus Christ. That's how generosity happens. That's how community, a community that's generous happens. It doesn't simply happen because we, we see a need and we kind of respond to it. And that happens. Those kind of things occur. And that's a good thing. But it happens because our lives are built on the rock of Jesus Christ. What is your life built on these days? It is, again, it seems very basic, doesn't it? Of course, build my life on Jesus Christ. But how easy is it for us to drift? How easy is it for you and I where then something or someone becomes that thing that we build our lives on? It's very subtle. It happens in our lives before we even know it. We may, we may actually verbalize it and give it, give it lip service and say, yeah, I'm building my life on Jesus Christ. But when you really break down your life, what does it look like? Who or what are you building your life on? I was talking to a person not too long ago where she said, you know, for years, Craig, I, my, you know, I was a, went to church and I was a, a faithful Christian, but I really built my life on my kids. Where so much of my worth, my self-image was, was sort of uh, built on their accomplishments in sports and academia. Whereas a mom, it would sort of fill me up to see their success. And then she shared, you know, when their lives started to go south, I took her very hard. My life crashed. Now, kids are important, but she said, I, I, I built my life on the success of my kids, and it didn't work. Another person I was talking to that was talking about uh, the company he works for, and he's been there for 10 years, and, he, and I was talking about this passage with him, and he said, you know, for the longest time, you know, in a similar way to the earlier story where for him, he built his life on his business and the success of, the, of, of his work in terms of his salary and the perks and where he was able to buy a bigger house and have more cars. And he said, Craig, quite frankly, you know, again, I, I knew that for me, I needed to focus on Jesus, but he said it was so subtle for me. Where my life, it seemed like, my self-worth, my identity was built on my job, my salary. Uh, as he uh, rose up the corporate ladder rather quickly, I might add. And he said, I got to a point where it wasn't working out and where my life crashed. And Jesus says, build your life on me because anything else, anyone else, it doesn't work. How many of us need to hear that again and again and again and again? I know I do. How easy is it for me for a pastor, for me to, to build uh, my identity as a pastor? How easy is it for me and how tempting is it for me to drift and to begin to uh, gain my self-worth and form my sort of image as a pastor based on the attendance of our church or the effectiveness of our ministry? 
how tempting is it for me to go and, and see other churches and see how large they are and the effectiveness of their ministries. And pretty soon, uh, it's like this, in, inside of me, there's like this, the other pastors become rivals. That's crazy. But that's what happens, doesn't it? It happens to pastors very easily. This it sort of happens. And as I was reflecting on this message this morning, I was driving early to church this morning, and I was just praying for different churches I was passing by. Because I was so, so convicted that um, we need to band together. Um, we need more and more churches in Maple Grove and Osseo and surrounding areas. And I need to be the cheerleader for that pastor and for that church. Yay, God, look what you're doing there. It has nothing to do with our church, but look at what you're doing over there, God. Instead of, instead of me trying to, trying to base my, my self-image or to build my pastoral ministry on the success of this church. For us to build our lives on Jesus Christ, he is the Petra, he is the rock. And maybe for you this morning, it's simply to say, just a, a short prayer, silent prayer, Jesus, I want you to be the rock of my life. I want to recommit my life to you to be the rock. I have strayed. I have drifted. I have allowed other things and other people to become that rock, that foundation. Next, as a community, as we uh, form and, and try to become something that God wants us to do and, and to be that, that generous church, is for us, secondly, to realize that we're made in the image of a generous God. We need to realize that. So when you and I engage in generosity and we do the kind of things that, that Jesus is talking about in chapter 6, especially verses 2 through 4, where we give to those in need, that we respond with generosity. It might be money, it might be time. That we do that um, because you and I, in the very beginning, our DNA was meant to reflect that because that's who God is. I mean, if you were to, to break down some of the characteristics of God, who he is and what he is like, if you were to make a list, perhaps generosity be towards that list because that's who God is. God is a generous God. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis, he just creates. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to. But his, his joy and his generosity just kind of flows out and he creates the world. And then a God who sends his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save our sins, to give us a future in heaven, to live the kind of life that Jesus talks about in John 10, 10, so for you and I, that we may have life in all its abundance, that God had actually made that possible through his generosity in giving his son on the cross for you and me. So you and I are able to engage in generosity. We're able to, to move in that direction because we're made in the image of a generous God. It's who he is. It's not like God has to practice. It's not like God sort of wakes up and on his to-do list for that day is be generous. It just ha happens automatically, right? This happens automatically. It, it's, it's who he is. It just occurs in, in terms of who God is. God is a generous God. The problem for you and I, even though it's in our DNA, is that we have this thing called sin. It says in Romans 3.23 that we've all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have fallen short of his standard. So that, that, that design that God had for our lives to be a generous people has been marred. It's been tainted it's been smudged by sin because you and I, when we wake up on a Monday morning, we don't wake up 
for me, it takes me about, you know, seven alarm beeps to actually wake up. But, but once I wake up and get going, my automatic inclination, my default is not, hey, I'm going to be selfless today. Or I want to be generous, okay? That doesn't happen at seven o'clock on a Monday morning, okay? Uh, my, my, unfortunately, my automatic, uh, you know, default is, is selfishness. And it's yours too. We, will, we want to do our own thing, and, and, and we, we want to uh, look out for ourselves. It's where we're number one. And that's where our heart goes, because you and I have sin in our lives. So even though God designed and formed us to be a generous people, to mirror, to image his generosity, we have this sin issue. Okay? So the, the beauty of the gospel is that when Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross, as I mentioned earlier, it's not just to save you. It's not simply just to forgive you, although it's, all those things are important. It's not simply that you have a future of eternity in heaven, which is very important, don't get me wrong. But what Jesus does as Lord and Savior of my life and of your life is that each day and every day is that he is trying to make us more and more and more of the kind of people who mirror and image who God is and what he's like. And maybe sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back, but that's what Jesus is doing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of our lives, is that he, he's removing the, the smudges and the, the stuff that taints our lives so that you and I can rightly reflect who God is and what he's like. So I thought for an illustration that I would uh, kind of show this. So this is really, this is Genesis 1, 27 through 31, that, that you and I are, were made to mirror and image God. But our lives, obviously, get smudged up and covered by, by sin. And what Christ does, if I can use a Norwex rag as an illustration. By the way, I, I didn't know what this stuff was until some ladies in the church showed me how to do this. So anyways, but... This is the gospel, and this is what Jesus comes to do, is to take away the smudges and to remove the stains in our lives so that we can better mirror and reflect what God is like. And sometimes for you and I, it's where we just got to kind of like this mirror, stand still. Be still and know that I'm God and allow Christ to work in our lives where we let go. As one friend told, uh, told me, when he got to a point in his life where for him it was simply removing himself from the driver's seat. That's a little better, right? Okay. For, for a guy, come on. Get, get an applause. Come on. Thank you. Not bad for a guy. Anyways, uh, where for him, it, it was kind of taking himself out of the driver's seat and um, going in the passenger seat and allowing God to really take the steering wheel of his life in allowing uh, his work to remove and, and to, in some ways, just better reflect who God is and, and what he's like. He, it probably looks like smudges over there, but tell me, it, it, or believe me, it's, it's clean up here. <laughs> it's clean up here. But that's what Christ is doing, is removing those stains, removing those smudges, so that you and I can better reflect God in our lives. That's a staggering thought. 
because you're like, who, me? That I'm meant to reflect God? Are you kidding me? But I see it. I see it in our community. I see people that give other time to help somebody move. I see people that, that help someone, perhaps they need uh, assistance with gas cards or something like that. I see that. And I see them reflect that. And I see it. I'm like, look at God at work in that person's life. That person is reflecting who God is through their generosity. What does it look like for you? What does it look like for you to uh, reflect God? And, and maybe it just starts, simply begins with, God, I, I just want to re- release everything to you, and I want you just to work in me each day, each day. And one of the ways that he can do that, the next point, is where we live generously, where we have opportunities each day, where we have opportunities each day to engage in acts of generosity. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody that you just met, a kind of a random stranger where you can respond with generosity. And maybe it's your time. Our time is, is very, uh, very hard. It's hard for us to find extra time these days, but maybe it's just simply giving a person an hour to two hours and sitting and listening to them. That's generosity. Or, or, or maybe it's, it's providing something for them. And as we do that, as we engage in those kind of acts of generosity, for us together as a community, it binds us together. And that, was, that was what the early church was known for. If you go back into church history, I won't, I won't uh, bore some of you with the details, but if you go back in church history, that's what they were known for. Okay, doctrine was important. Theology was important, but, but back then it wasn't so much that you had to have the right kind of doctrine for the early church uh, as they were known for in the outside culture. What they were known for, most notably, was their compassion and generosity. That if a person uh, contracted leprosy, the Christians were always known as the one who would take them in. Uh, we talked in our, our adult ed class that uh, a lot of times in a place called, uh, a city called Ephesus, that when children were born, this was actually something very popular in ancient families. They would bring the baby to the feet of the, of the dad, and he had the choice of whether or not he wanted to keep that baby. So if, so if, he, if he wanted a male and he had a baby girl, it wasn't unusual for the dad to turn his back and walk away. And what they do this is horrifying, but they would take those children, those babies, and they would put them out in the streets. And that's where the Christians rose up and said, you know what, we need to have a place for kids, an orphanage. And they didn't call it that then, but that's what happened. It was the Christians who led that movement to take in all these unwanted kids. It was the Christians who, who started the hospitals and, and took care of those who uh, had poor health because nobody in the culture, the pagan culture, would touch anyone that was sick. But the Christians did. And they became known for their generosity. They always had a, a bed to spare. They always had food, food to share and to the point where the emperor of Rome in 360 AD, Julian, said, these Christians, they're amazing. They even take in uh, our people 
which absolutely blew, blew his mind because he said, you know, it's one thing for them to take in their own people, but they take in the Roman people too. And we won't touch them because they're sick or something happened. But these Christians do. So they were marked by generosity. What would it look like for Maple Grove Covenant Church to be a place that is marked by generosity to the point, point that this city of Maple Grove would know that about us? Where we would be a place that is so generous with our facility and our resources. And a number of you give on a regular basis and many times we need to champion and point out and say, thank you so much for your giving. Your giving has allowed our children's ministries to grow just an incredible way this past year. That your faithful giving has allowed us to, uh, to staff K. Weens and other people in our children's ministries and for our WANA program just to go through the roof to be here on Wednesday nights. It's my, one of my favorite nights of the week. It's just alive again. I hear that from a number of people. Your regular giving has allowed us to make uh, Brian Schrader full-time worship director, which was a big step for us this summer. And what he does up here and brings us into the throne room, you make that possible by your generosity. May you and I abound more and more in our generosity. And if you're a person that calls Maple Grove Covenant Church home, I want to encourage you to begin to tithe if you haven't already. I mean, you can talk all you want about the semantics in the Bible, about what percentage, but 10% is generally just a good gauge. And I want to encourage you to make that happen on a regular basis. Because we need that, because I believe that God is doing something special here, and we want to continue in doing that. Will you join us in being generous? But it's not only tithing also, but for us, it's responding to the needs that we have around us. For people that, that we see that we can just randomly walk up and give something to them. And I would encourage you this week to pray and say, God, is there a way, is there something that I can do this week um, to actually give to somebody? No strings attached. So it was pretty cool this morning that uh, before church, somebody walked up to me and gave me Redder Cup tickets. That's generosity. And it was pretty amazing because it was just like, you know, out of the blue. This person came up and said, you know what, do you want these? And I said, yeah, these are great. And I can share the, those with some, some people. I'm going to scalp them, but uh, <laughs> I mean, the face value for this one's 20. I'm thinking this is worth 60 bucks at least right here. Okay, don't quote me on that. On the podcast, we'll delete that, that section. <laughs> All right. But for us, though, is to look for ways that we can be generous. And my prayer is that more and more in this church that God would form us as a community. That's a squad goal, is for us to be so marked by generosity and that we would make a difference because God has dreams and plans for this church that I am so excited about. Let me pray. Father God, we give thanks for this morning and thank you for the opportunity that we have to join you in being generous to be the kind of people that, yes, we're marred and we're tainted by sin, but the work of Christ in our lives, where he is removing those smudges, where he is removing those marks in our lives so that we can better reflect, that we can better mirror who God is. And it's not for us. I mean, we live in a culture today where generosity is in vogue. It's very much in 
Uh, we hear things like being generous, being a giving person is good for your health. Uh, it, it lowers your, your uh, blood pressure. It uh, lowers the uh, possibility of heart disease. But that aside, God, how about for us just to simply give? Just to give it away. To actually engage, what I would say, in a, in a true generosity. And as we do, as Maple Grove Covenant Church does that together, Lord, that you'd bind us closer to one another and that your kingdom would advance and that people's lives would be saved and that families would be impacted and transformed. For the glory of your name, amen.